0: Are sitting on the outside edges. I'm gonna have you guys move to the middle. Ooh, Rolo's coming up front. I was only kidding, but <laughs> thank you, Rolo. No heckling. All right. All right. So, um, Pastor John called me last week, asked me to step in and preach and I I said, "Do you have anything particular you want uh, want me to preach on? Like, did you want me to try to continue your series on eschatology? You guys remember what eschatology is? What is it? End times, right? So that's what we've been doing." Uh, He said, "No," and praise God for that because I don't know. All right, maybe you guys can help me out here, but I'm not sure. I I texted Terry this last week during. I don't understand the fascination with the end times. Like, it's it's cool stuff, but it's going to happen. We're going to roll through it, you know. The thing is, is when you when you know what's going to happen, you'll be able to recognize it when you get there. But my question is, is are you prepared for it in your heart when we get there? So I sometimes wonder if we don't put the cart in front of the horse just because we want to see what the end times go. She says it's a very mystical thing. Is that true? I mean, does it, like, fascinate you guys because of that? I guess. I don't know. But anyway, I in in preaching and and, and what I was going to preach on because I didn't have to preach on the end times. um, I prayed and prayed and and I came up with several ideas. Some of them were funny. Some of them were um, complicated, some of the things. But God really laid it on my heart. And and today I'm going to share with you what the Bible says about worship. So let me answer that question for you really quick. A lot. Let's pray. No. Um, what does it say about worship? You know, what is worship? What is all these things? You know, so the best way that I can answer this question, you'll see it. I, I did. Uh, what do they call them? The, the five questions or the six questions? Who, what, why, where, when and how? I thought I thought that'd be a good way to apply what the Bible says about worship We'll try to answer as many aspects of it. But really, when we, when we go through this, you'll see that there's kind of one core thread that goes through there. So we'll just start with what is worship? And that is a huge question, right? So if I asked you guys, what is worship? Does anybody want to venture what you, how you would define worship? I give it, to, uh, raise your hand. I'll repeat it so it goes on to the recording. All that other fun stuff. Anybody got a guess? Glory Giving glory to God. Okay. Anybody else? Praising God. Okay. What? Say that louder, Barbara. Adoring Him. Right. So these, these are all good definitions. And as I studied through the scriptures and I started looking, I found out that like worship at its essence can probably be broken into two parts. First is an inner essence, and then that inner essence leads to an outward expression. But you can't just have the outward expression, right? Outward expression without the inner essence is, is worthless. And as a matter of fact, when you look in Matthew 15, 8 through 9, Jesus said that that outward expression without the inner essence is in vain when you say something's in vain That's that's a pretty strong condemnation, but he says these people honor me with their lips But their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain Teaching as doctrines the commands of men so to jesus This outward expression of worship without the inner essence is is null and void. It's dead upon arrival It's kaput. It's nothing. It's worthless all right so um I guess the best way you could put that is, all right, so if you're supposed to worship God, but your heart's not in it, can you imagine, it, you know, can you imagine having a spouse that says they love you, they tell you you're awesome, or they tell you all these nice loving things, but they don't really, they don't really mean it, right? It's just saying the right thing it, it just comes back. It's hollow. It doesn't mean anything can you, like it sounds terrible to say that But I know that there are people out there that have been in relationships like that If the heart's not in it, it's it's not truly worship. And so that begs the question What is this inner essence of worship? So As you're looking through the scriptures, you're flipping through the bible You if you turn to john chapter 4 verses 23 through 24, you can find the answer to that question And it says but an hour is coming And is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. All right. Now, look at this. What what does it pair worship together with? Worship him in spirit and the body. Spirit and singing. Spirit and dance. You know, all these different things, right? Is that what it says? What's it say? Spirit and what? Spirit and truth. The spirit's not contrasted with worshiping the body. It's, not, it's paired with, uh, with truth. And so we can gather from that that to be spirit worshipers, we need to be driven by truth. That is to say that true God-honoring worship depends on an accurate understanding of God as he describes himself. Notice I didn't say the way you think of God, but the way God describes himself. All right? Or at least, in the very least, growing in that knowledge. God's infinite. We won't ever completely understand everything about him. But we should have that desire to know him as he describes himself. So what's the best way we can know the way God describes himself? Somebody said it over here. Say it loud. It's the Bible, right? It's God's word. He gave us his word. All right. When I was in school, when I was going to school, you know, we always had these deep theological discussions. And, and like, we would talk about things like, if God is invisible, how can we know who he is? And the only way we can know who he is is if he reveals himself to us. And that's what his word is, is his revelation to us of who he is. All right? So, second thing is, is worship depends on an accurate, spiritual, emotional, affectional grasp of God's supreme value. All right? So when we think of God's value, we should know that it's infinite, right? God's infinitely valuable. Nothing is more valuable of God. So if I had to guess, if I had to start forming a definition of worship, it'd be something like worship is treasuring or prizing or reverencing or delighting in or being satisfied in God above all things. So the inner essence of worship then is the response of the heart to the knowledge of the mind when it is rightly understanding the value of Or worth of God So As a matter of fact When you look at the English word worship It comes from two words Worth and ship Alright So you've heard Worth So it's worth ship And we put it together We made the word worship Right It's like penmanship Or athletic uh, uh, Gamesmanship Athletic Ship No that's not a word Never mind This is why my wife's in the front row She's like That's not a word Brad Cool I get to make up words right Can I do that Alright So It comes from worth ship and and that that whole passage there I actually kind of stole from John Piper Um, Can't blame me for that though, right? It's good stuff Um, So when you look back on it The truth of who god is of who god is leads to the correct value of god So the best definition of worship that I personally can give is being satisfied in god above all things All right I'm gonna park there and i'm gonna just let that soak in Think through that in your mind for a second. What does that mean? Because it's loaded. What satisfies you more than God? Nothing should, right? So if that's true, if this is what worship is, then worship is not some sort of act that we do. We don't come here on Sunday morning and worship God with singing and stuff like that. Not that that isn't an aspect of worship, but that's not worship. It's it's more of a mindset, an attitude, or a state of being. So you guys, myself, all of us, we're worshipers of God. As a matter of fact, that's our ultimate purpose. It's one of the biggest questions in life. What is the meaning of life? Ready? Here it is. Our ultimate purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. If that's not being satisfied in God above all things, I don't know what is. Our ultimate goal in life is to be worshipers of God. All right, so kind of kind of got an idea of what worship is now so then the, the next question is is the who so who should be worshipped right so this is pretty straightforward right pretty obvious who should be worshipped god right god alone uh, and as obvious as that is wouldn't you say it's one of the things we struggle with the most uh so in matthew chapter 4 jesus is tempted by satan right and so this is just kind of kind of put this in perspective. So Satan tempts him off these, all these other things. Not yet, Byron. Uh, he tempts him with all these things. But basically what happens is, is he leads him up to the top of this mountain. He takes him up to the top of the mountain, this high mountain, it says in the Bible. So I don't know what mountain it was or anything like that. And he shows him all the earth and all the splendors of all the kingdoms. And he said, all of this will be yours if you just bow down and worship me. Right? All right? So what is he tempting Jesus to do? Think back to our definition of what worship is, right? He's tempting Jesus to find a satisfaction in something other than God. To find a satisfaction in being ruler of all these things. To find a satisfaction in being whatever. And he still does that with us today, right? He, uh, and it works. It really does work. Uh, he suggests that we'd be more satisfied in having nice things. You know, I sit there, I, you guys see my pickup truck? You guys know which one it is out there i'll tell you what it's the white one with the most rust on anything on it Out of anything in the parking lot. That's my pickup truck. All right So I go over bumps. It squeaks. It makes noises. It rides rough I would love to have a nicer pickup truck but To have a nicer pickup truck I wouldn't be able to be youth pastor at victory church because i'd have to get a full-time job Which I could do But that's not what god called me to do right He didn't want me to abandon his purpose for my life to seek the joys that I think that I want And as we'll see a little bit later, it probably wouldn't even make me happy anyway So maybe maybe he wants you to have nice things or he says having a great career Where where are we at here? I'm looking for Jacob getting all the ladies Um, You know uh, Having power being popular maybe getting high getting drunk What about this one? What about getting married? If I can just get married, I'd be happy. Or maybe if we could just have a kid, I'd finally be happy. Maybe it's having a title or a position in your church. Maybe you want to be a deacon or a pastor or what for the prestige of it. It's not prestigious. But some people think that it is. It's not. All right? Are all the things bad that I just mentioned? Not necessarily But when we get when we get into troubles, when we put the emphasis on that above God, all right. So I want you to to see how Jesus responds to Satan in verse ten. He says, "Go away, Satan." He said, "Go away." I like it. (laughs) The 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 uh, absolute fortitude and the power to look at Satan in the face and say, "Go away," all right. He says, "For it is written." For it is written, right. Jesus understood the word and how God revealed himself. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve only him. All right? He doesn't want to serve Satan, and he doesn't care about the splinters of the kingdoms of the earth. He wants to glorify God. Jesus basically says that he will only find satisfaction in the Father and that there's nothing Satan can offer him that would even measure up. And the same is true for us, guys. Um... When we chase these pursuits, when, we, when I go after that nice pickup truck or, or you know, whatever it may be, uh, these things, when we chase them and we put, put them in front of God, they turn to ash in our mouth. You get that promotion or raise, but it's not enough money. You, fl- you may find that perfect person. See my air quotes? Perfect person. But then when you get married, you find out that it's a lot of work and uh, people are people. And so there's no such thing as a perfect person. So your spouse then has human flaws, and maybe, maybe it's not all sunshine and roses as you thought it might have been. Um, none of these things can even compare to the satisfaction and enjoyment of knowing God as he describes himself. Right? So who should we worship? God alone, right? All right, so the next thing is when and where should we worship? So. Think back to the definition If we're to be satisfied in God all, all uh, um, Satisfied in God above all things That makes worship being a state of being Where should we worship? Everywhere Wherever you are If worship is a state of being Then it stands to reason that we would be worshipping wherever we are That includes work, at home On the softball field <laughs> It's really hard right josh <laughs> it's really hard but uh you got to put yourself put yourself away and put christ on whenever you're or whenever you're wherever you are worshiping god and and your whole life uh should be a reflection of god one of the best band names i ever heard one of my friends had a band their band name was called reflector and it's like oh i've never heard of them before it's mike i don't know if you remember him trudy but uh they opened for third day one time, and if you guys don 't know who third day is, boy, I need to tell you, um, but their band name is Reflector because they understood that their lives, their music, their ministry was to reflect the uh, the worship or the, the glory of God, and we 're no different when you 're on the job are you reflecting god 's glory is it is that are, are you a polished, shining example of Christ? Are you kind of dingy and dirty and like the light hitching it kind of glows, but not all the time. I, none of us are perfect, I get it, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive to be that right but even though we're supposed to be worshipers of God everywhere, it doesn't excuse us from coming here on Sunday morning and 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 expressing our worship of God on Sunday morning, either, you know. Uh, one of the best examples I can use is is of a, of a coal So if you have a, if you have a fire and it's down you got the coals down at the bottom And as long as those coals stay together, they stay nice and hot and they're glowing And you take one coal out of that fire and you set it off to the side and what'll happen to it Start to cool off, right? What happens if you pick that coal back up and put it right back where it was? Fires right back up again. All right So I know that's just like an example an idiom or whatever, but it the Bible actually does talk about this in Hebrews chapter 10:25, and it mentions it specifically where it says, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day drawing near. Encouraging one another. So why do we need to come together to worship together, right? It's to encourage one another. If you look at Romans 12:15, it says we're to rejoice when others are rejoicing, that we should weep when others weep. So when we gather together, we support one another. Right? You ever celebrated with somebody whenever they achieve something great? It's a lot of fun, right? Um, and then when somebody's going through a hard time, you're to be there for them, to help them, to help raise them up. There's there's a community in the church, and as a community, we are to be Christ worshipers. So individually and as a community, all right? So, again, if, if it's a state of being, if worship is a state of being, then when should we worship? Certainly on Sunday mornings, right? from 10.30 to when I finish or when pastor finishes. But, but when should we worship? All time, right? It's pretty straightforward. I'm not throwing any curveballs here. So again, worship is a state of being, which means our whole lives should be worship. And we worship in the good times. So if you guys are like me, that's when it's easy to worship God. But if you're not like me, sometimes it's hard to worship God in the good times because you forget it's God who gave you the good times to begin with, right? Right? Sometimes the only time you look up is when you're laying flat on your back. But I like, I, I don't i don't struggle that way. My struggle comes in, this, in, in, the, in the second way. But, but whenever we're, things are going good, there is a danger to forget God when things are going well. But all the time also includes the bad times, and this is where I struggle. So worshiping God in the bad times is the most difficult to me. Um, when bad times hit for me, they seem to snowball. And it could start with stubbing my toe when I get out of the shower in the morning. I was like, ah, ha, ha, I stubbed my toe, and then, like, I go out to my car, and then my car won't start, or I can't find a shirt that I was going to wear that day, whatever. And it just keeps going and going and going, and people are like, well, you're looking at it with a negative attitude. And I promise you I'm not, because it gets to the point in my life where I almost have to laugh at it because you can't write stuff up like that, because it does snowball on me. But as it snowballs, sometimes the pressure's too much, and I can't just laugh at it, you know? And I forget that Christ is walking with with me next to me and the Bible says he goes before me I forget that and that's when I struggle in worship um, But when I'm struggling it helps me to remember remember job. Do you guys remember job? You guys know the story you want me to give you a, he lost everything. What did he do to lose everything? Nothing right God and Satan were up in in heaven and Satan basically says something to to God to the effect of people only worship you because you do nice things for him. And God goes, have you considered my servant Job? And uh, Satan's like, well, I don't know about Job. You put a hedge around him. And I can't get to him. He goes, all right, all right. I'll tell you what. I will remove the hedge and I will protect him from nothing except one thing. You can't kill him. So it goes on. Job loses Everything. Job loses his family, his kids, his livestock, his livelihood. And it gets to the point where he's sitting in, ash, uh, sitting in ashes with ashes on his head, covered in boils, wearing sackcloth, right? This is what Jewish people did when they mourned. They put ashes on their head, tore their clothes, and wore sackcloth. And he's sitting there, covered in boils, which I can't imagine. It had to be absolutely miserable. The best thing I can think of is I get poison ivy real bad. And I don't get poison ivy here or here. I get it here. Right when I get it up on my face, it's bad So job is sitting there And his friends are standing around him saying job. It's something you must have done His wife is telling him job. You just need to curse god and die Just let it go job. Let it go. What does what does job say? The lord gives and The lord takes away Say it loud Blessed be the name of the lord, right? So if job can do that Whatever it is that i'm going through during the day doesn't compare and god is still good If god was still good to job when all those things were happening god is still good to me And I don't need to be like losing my jesus whenever things are going bad in my life, right? So all the time good times bad times and uh, The reason job's able to do that is he's an accurate understanding of god and knew that worship was not a result of his circumstances, but was motivated for the character of God. So if you know what the character of God is, if you're suffering something, my personal struggle was a heart attack. I had a heart attack, right? I was 27 years old. I had a heart attack. Why on earth should I have a heart attack? That's not right. I saw a reaction over here. Somebody's like, what? Yeah. I had it. So I could have felt sorry for myself or knowing that God is good, knowing who God is, I can look at that circumstance and be like, alright God, what is it you want me to learn from this? How can I grow from this? I can use it as a ministry to other people who are going through sickness. I can use it as an understanding that maybe I wasn't treating myself the way I should have and that I need to do, take better care of the gift that God has given me in this life. There's so many things, but you can't do it if you don't know who God is. And that's really what you need to come back to to focus on worship in the bad times is the, the, the character of God. So then the question is, how should we worship, right? Inevitably, you get this inner essence of worship. And so when you start thinking about the greatness of God, it should make you want to do something, right? I've always used the example in the youth group, head, heart, and hands, right? So the head is the knowledge. So if you know who God is, it should strike a chord in your heart, right? when something strikes a chord in your heart, what do you want to do? Something about it, right? So let me use this example because I I, I like baseball, right? You're watching the Cardinals play, and the Cardinals are infuriating sometimes, and other times it looks like they're the best team that has ever been put together. I don't get it, but that's the case. So you're watching it, and you know what they're capable of, and you know in this situation you need Jose Martinez to hit a three-run home run, right? So you're sitting there, and you're like, all right, he needs a home run. If he hits a home run in this one, it's going to be great. So your heart starts loving the idea of Jose Martinez hitting a three run home run. He swings, smashes the ball and hits it through the stacks out at Cincinnati in the middle of the field and it's like, what a thing, wow. And you go, what? Whenever your team does the thing. Woo! Right? You jump up, you scream, you cheer, you start high-fiving people around you. It's the same, same ideas. That's a smaller example of the big idea with god if you know who god is and your heart loves him Whenever you see the greatness of god on display It should make you want to do something right show an outward expression all right So this is the thing is is though. What does that outward expression look like? This is the biggest one of the biggest debates that goes on in a congregation of, of church members uh, so many people and so many passionate viewpoints on the subject some people say hey Only old hymns those are god's hymns. That's what the bible was written in the time of hymns. It wasn't It's not accurate, but they're like only old hymns. Some people say well, yeah, the old hymns are old So we need contemporary music so we can reach a generation. Some people say you shouldn't even have music You should just sing Uh, Some people believe that services should be highly liturgical. Have you guys ever heard of that word before liturgical? You guys ever been to a catholic service? That's an example of a highly liturgical service. Basically, there's an order laid out and you follow that order. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but some people say, nah, worship shouldn't be liturgical. It should be almost non-liturgical. So that would be like going to, well, I would say we're kind of halfway liturgical because you kind of get the same thing every Sunday, but we don't have a laid out list that we've got to do this one and check this mark and then do this one and check this mark. But when you go to a highly non-liturgical service, they tend to be more like concerts, you know, very all over the place. And that's fine, too. But a lot of times people say, well, actually, it's just a matter of personal preference. There is an aspect of that to that. I'm not saying that it is not a matter of personal preference. But what I do say is, is we should consult the Bible and see what the Bible says about how we should worship, right? I mean, if worship is such importance to God, which is what I'm gathering as I'm studying through this lesson, then he would surely have something to say on the matter, right? Right, right. He would have something to say. So the Bible does mention different ways of, of, of worshiping. It talks about singing and dancing and shouting and using the clanging gongs and playing the cymbals. Right, drummers? Where are my drummers at? There's Eddie. So all, 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 you know, all these different things are good. But but when I was at MoBAP, I took this class. I know a lot of my experiences go back to that, but that was where a lot of spiritual growth happened in my life. We took a history of worship class and there has always been a debate and the debate has been. Was whether or not worship types were limited to only what the Bible explicitly mentioned or it was all okay as long as it wasn't explicitly forbidden. What do you guys think? I'll give you. I, I, what do you guys think? Because there's not a right answer to this yet. Nobody has settled on an answer. What do you guys think? Everybody's afraid to. Nobody's going to make fun of you. Number two. So tree says number two. Anybody else? Yeah, I, I see a lot of that. I, I lean that way, but when I say that, I make sure that I understand that we don't not do the things that are explicitly mentioned. If God mentions them, we should pay attention to that. So should we praise God with song? Well, absolutely, because he said praise him with song. Should we praise him with dancing? Absolutely. Should we praise him with shouting and banging cymbals and all this other stuff? I think so. But can we praise God with, with a, a play? Can we praise God with a monologue? Can you praise God by sharing your story? Maybe you're not a person who's of musical ability. Like, here's here's how I know about my singing. I know when I'm singing and I know when I'm not on the right key and I have no idea how to not do the right key. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I'm singing. It's like that's not right. I don't know what to do now. <laughs> um, so I get quiet. All right. So anyway, here. So so we don't ignore them. And because worship is a state of being I would actually argue that we cannot worship Only in one specific manner because it is who we are what we do as long as our motivations are motivated by the true nature of God Whatever we do should be worship granted You shouldn't do things that the Bible considers sin To be your spiritual worship to God because that doesn't work because he said don't do those things because then you're not motivated by that. Long story. All right. So anyway Romans 12:1 says, "Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, and this is your spiritual worship." And what that means for worship and how you worship is that God that that God wants for worship is all of you. Not all of you as a people, but all of you as an individual. He doesn't want just your song, he doesn't want just your dance. He doesn't want just those things. I think that, like, in this, he wants, in wanting all of you, and therefore, like, I was talking to uh, Barbara today because she had some strawberries that she said were to die for. And as I know this seems weird, but just bear with me here, all right? Anything that you do that declares the greatness of God can be an expression. So Barbara had some strawberries. That happens to be my favorite fruit. Anybody here not like strawberries? Alright, I will pray for you. No. <laughs> so for the for the sake of this example, substitute your favorite fruit in there or your favorite vegetable, whatever it is. Alright. But whenever I have a good strawberry and I'm eating that strawberry, it's different. It, you're just in this different state of mind. It's like, man, this is amazing. Now think about this. Who conceptualized that strawberry? Who added The combination of flavors together that create a strawberry who added the textures together or whatever favorite fruit it is who put all that together if your favorite food isn't just a fruit or a vegetable or something like that if it's a meal who created the mind that thought of these things to put together who thought of the flavors to put in that particular food they didn't exist before god it was god right so can you eat a strawberry and praise god absolutely what kind of great mind comes up with a strawberry? It's, it's amazing to me. All right. So, but God wants all of you. All right. He wants your complete and utter submission. And that is a lot. Right. So you might be wondering, why on earth should I give all that to God? So That's our last question today. Why should we worship? Right. So we were just in Romans 12:1, And fortunately for us, Paul does answer that question. When you look at Romans chapter 1, Byron, if you'll put that back up there if you could. When you look at that, what's that first word? Therefore. Therefore is a particular word, right? It means because of this, do this. All right? Or because of this, then this, right? So Pastor John always says, when you see a therefore, you should stop and see what it's there for. So what that means is when you see therefore. So Paul just gave this big log argument that we don't know what it is. And he says, because of that... I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What does it say? Well, let's go on back to Romans 11:30 through 12:1, all right? So this is what it says: As you once disobeyed God, but now have received mercies through their disobedience, so they too now have disobeyed, resulting in mercy to you. So they may now also receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience, so that He ha- may have mercy on all. Right? A hymn of praise, O oh God, O oh the depths of riches, bo- both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments! How untraceable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who can be His count- Who has been His counselor? Or what is what is ever first given to Him? Or whoever. Who has ever first given to him and has been has had to be repaid For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen Therefore brothers by the mercies of God I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God and this is your spiritual worship So he gives us two reasons. I'm wondering if you guys picked up on them I'm gonna flip them in the order that they're in the verse, but what's the first reason? Why should we worship God? See if anybody's picked up on it. For who he is, right? We worship God because he is God. We worship God because he is love, because he is just, because he is merciful. He is powerful. He is holy. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere. He's kind. I think the two best examples of worshiping God God for who he is can be found in the old testament and The first one's found in job because we talked about job, right? So god appears to job and he contrasts himself to job So this is when job is finally like I don't know if I can take this anymore He goes god. Why is this happening? God appears and he says the old Uh, uh, the king james version says gird up your loins for I have some questions for you All right When I look in the hcsb, it says I have some questions for you which you will answer like a man All right, so god god stands up. He challenges god. He asks jo- He asks job He goes have you seen the storehouses of snow? Or where were you whenever I placed the boundaries of the ocean told that it can go here and no further? Or where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? And on and on and on. If you guys want to look at that, I, I really... Like, if you want a, 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 an explanation of the greatness of God, go look at those chapters and see what God says about himself there. Right? And and Job, whenever he, he, he hears all this stuff, he's kind of like... Because he was like... Why is this happening to me, God? And God says, Hold on, let me ask you some questions. And by the end of it, Job's like, I'm sorry. Well, this podium's not big enough to hide behind. But uh he uh Job humbles himself. So the greatness of God causes Job to humble himself, and he does end up worshiping God, right? So the second one is this you guy's heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Now forgive me here because if I say the wrong thing I might say the chocolate bunny because I watch too much veggie tales but in the story of Shadrach Meshach and Abednego They were told to worship a golden statue of ne- that Nebuchadnezzar had set up under the threat of death So when I think it was when the horns played they were supposed to everyone was supposed to bow down and worship the statue And anyone who didn't was going to be tossed into a fiery furnace And so they played the horns and those three didn't bow down Nebuchadnezzar like all right, all right. all right, Maybe they didn't understand. I'm gonna go over and tell them again are you going to do it? And this is what they said in Daniel three sixteen through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If God, the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from this blazing furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. So again, there's nothing the king can threaten them with that would be greater than God. And then look what they say. But even if he does not rescue us, so doesn't? They're not saying he's going to rescue us, and that's why we worship him. Even if he doesn't rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden statue you set up. Even if he doesn't rescue us, so why why would they do that? Even if God didn't rescue him, why why would they say that? Because they know who God is, and it ain't about this; it's about the beyond about God right now as you read the story they get tossed in the blazing furnace right and God leaves them alone they burn up right God doesn't leave them alone that's see, that's a cool thing God didn't forsake them which leads us to the last thing and that's what I'm going to close with okay we worship God for what he has done so when Shadrach Meshach and Abednego were in that fiery furnace he looked in and how many people did uh did Nebuchadnezzar see Four, there's somebody or something in there with them. A lot of speculation surrounding that. So I'm not going to speculate. <laughs> we worship God for what he has done. That's verses 30 through 32. So I'm positive, you guys, if you, it, it, my life hasn't been that amazing. I can look back on my life. So I'm positive that if you guys look back on your life, you can find countless things that God has done that would make you want to worship him. Stop. Just stop right now. Just run through them in your head. Start listing them. And we were kind of talking about this in youth last week. Um, we're studying the book of Romans, and we got to this part in chapter 1 where it lays out the case against us. When I say the case against us, that which is, has, has put us under condemnation, why we are who we are and why we need a Savior, right? And some of the kids didn't get it. They weren't understanding. And what I explained to them was basically that God declared the judgment and because of the Trinity, God is also the son. The son basically came up. I had one of them stand next to me and I pushed him aside and I stood here and I said, he said, I'll take the punishment, right? He's, we talked about the standard that, that God has laid upon us. This, what is the standard? Our standard is perfection, right? If we want to go to heaven, we would have needed to meet God's standard, right? And that standard is perfection. And the I would, I, I know I don't need to quote the Bible here. I know each and every one of you would be like, you know what? You're right. I'm not perfect. So none of us meet the standard. But the Bible does say that, right? It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? So because we don't meet that standard, we don't deserve anything from God. God doesn't have to save us. God doesn't owe it to us to save us. God doesn't do anything that. What we deserve is nothing short of a spiritual death in hell, right? Because we are who we are, that's what we deserve. But God, right? I love that phrase. That's, that's my favorite phrase in the Bible. But God. It happens over and over and over. It's like, it's like at the darkest moment, and then it says, but God. But God didn't abandon us in our sin. The Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It also tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not die but have everlasting life. I can't comprehend that, guys. I can't wrap my mind around that. All right? What kind of love would sacrifice one's own child to save others? Not only other people, right? It's not like he sacrificed his son to save people who were... Just kind of in a bad circumstance it he, he sacrificed his son to save people who put them in that place out of their own volition. We brought it on ourselves, we did it ourselves we're the sinners. Christ still did still died for us. I have lost a page. oh well, all right um. They put themselves in that switch and I don't I don't have a child. All right, the closest I have to a child is a dog And even in my brain, he's my dog, right? And I like my dog dare I say it. I love my dog But if you do something stupid, i'm gonna be hard-pressed to allow my dog to die so that you can stay alive Now if you didn't do something stupid, that's a different story, but i'm not talking about a dog here I'm talking about your son now and it's not like like those of you who have kids You haven't had your child your whole life now your child's had you their whole life But you haven't had your child the whole life the trinity has existed in perfect fellowship since the beginning of time Right. God didn't need anything. He would have had perfect fellowship. He didn't need us He would have had perfect fellowship and what what happens God sacrifices his son For you. There's a time when jesus is on the cross where he says father. Why have you forsaken me? It's the first time in history, in eternity, that Christ has ever not known what it was like to have that fellowship with God. And he did that for you. I can't point to you all at the time, but it is. He did it for me. All right? But the thing is, like I said, I couldn't do that. But praise God, it's not up to me. Right? It was God and his love. We're guilty, we deserve punishment, but God intervened. He sent us, He sent his son to be the propitiation person, and I like that word, propitiation. I say it all the time at youth. Does anybody outside of me and people who have been in youth know what propitiation means? It's, it's a super cool word, because he didn't just pay our sins, right? Propitiation means it, was, it, it, it paid the debt and made the relationship good again. In the the beginning, God used to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening in the Garden of Eden. Christ's sacrifice on the cross resets us to that. We can have a good relationship with God again. And that, to me, is the true nature of God, of who he is. It it, it explains it all out. That is why we worship God. And the thing is, with the sacrifice that Christ made, if you don't know that, the awesome thing is is God didn't make it very hard to get there. All you got to do is say, I want it. That's it. I want that gift. I want that sacrifice. I want that. And so I can't think of any better example or nature of the worth of God than that. And if the band will come, I'll pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day, Lord. and I thank you for, for who you are, Lord. We praise you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that you gave me this opportunity to come and share with us, Lord. I just pray that this message doesn't go out to deaf ears. I pray that it lands home, Lord. Father, I thank you most of all for your son and the sacrifice that he made. Father, and if there's somebody here that doesn't know him, Lord, I just pray that you weigh upon their heart, that you finger around in their heart, and you find that spot, that soft spot, and that they would then surrender yourself, themselves to you, not just partially, but wholly and completely. And Father, for those of us who have done that, I just pray that, that we understand that you want all of us, not just a little bit, That our whole lives are supposed to be a spiritual worship to you, Lord. Father, I just pray that you move us along in that journey. Put us on fast forward. Get us there as fast as we can, Lord, because it just sounds amazing to me that I wouldn't have anything else to find satisfaction in. I've got all that I ever needed in you. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us for this lesson from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with, or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618 622 9360, or you can email us at victoryfwb at victoryfwbgmail.com. So if you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email Call or send a request to 223 Scott Troy Road, O'Fallon, Illinois, 62269. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.